This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is returning guest, Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, Dr. Nenner is the founder and president of Charles Nenner Research, and uh, we're going to get his take on the future direction of stocks, bonds, and precious metals. Uh, You'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, Dr. Nenner has a very interesting research methodology and one that has historically been very accurate. So I would encourage you to stay tuned for that. You know, in this first segment, I want to talk a bit more about something that I talked about on a recent client update webinar. And if you would like to get access to these update webinars, all you need to do is go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and download the Your RLA app. If you have the Your RLA app, you'll get access to the podcast version of this radio program each week. You'll also get my weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter, as well as access to the webinar. Now, I want to talk about credit bubbles, currency bubbles, and the evolution of money. And it is a lot to talk about in one segment. But the evolution of our current U.S. dollars started 49 years ago. 49 years ago, actually a little bit more than 49 years ago, on August 15, 1971, President Richard Nixon went on television and with a completely straight face, I might add, he said this, In the past seven years, there has been an average of one international monetary crisis every year. Now, who gains from these crises? Not the working man, not the investor, not the real producers of wealth. The gainers are the international money speculators because they thrive on crises. They help create them. In recent weeks, the speculators have been waging an all-out war on the American dollar. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy, and the American economy is by far the strongest in the world. Accordingly, I have directed the Secretary of the Treasury to take the action necessary to defend the dollar against the speculators. Now, what was the action that Mr. Nixon directed the Treasury Secretary to take? Well, he suggested and demanded that the the redemptions of U.S. dollars for gold be temporarily suspended. You see, up until August of 1971, going all the way back to 1944, the U.S. dollar could be exchanged for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. This made the U.S. dollar really as good as gold. Anyone who held U.S. dollars, I should say any foreign entity that held U.S. dollars, could exchange these dollars for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. But the reality is, over that 20 to 25-year time frame, for the most part, there weren't many who took the U.S. up on this offer. They just kept their dollars knowing that they could exchange them at any time for gold. But then along came the 1960s, which can only be described as a tumultuous decade. The Vietnam War, the Great Society, Medicare, Medicaid, all these endeavors sapped the federal budget, and money was created to cover the additional, I would argue, excessive expenditures. 
Now, due to the level of money printing that was taking place, many who held U.S. dollars decided that they would rather have the gold than the U.S. dollars. So they began to exchange them for gold as they were entitled to do. Now, these international money speculators, as Nixon dubbed them, weren't really speculators at all. They were just looking to protect themselves from excessive money printing. And the reality also was that Nixon wasn't really protecting the U.S. dollar from international money speculators. He was unilaterally changing the rules by which the money game was played. And by doing so, starting in 1971... U.S. dollar changes began that continue to accelerate to this day. Since 1971, the Federal Reserve, which is a private group of bankers that controls U.S. monetary policy, they've pretty much been able to create money as they have seen fit to do. From 1971 until the financial crisis of about a dozen years ago, The Fed created new money by manipulating the demand for money through increasing or decreasing interest rates. By reducing interest rates, the Fed could create more demand for loans, and since money was loaned into existence, more loans meant an increase in the money supply. By increasing interest rates, the money supply would contract and inflation would be contained, but now, however it seems that the Fed has abandoned the idea of increasing interest rates. Now, this whole system of controlling interest rates worked reasonably well for quite a long time. From 1971 until 2008, money was created by loaning it into existence. If the Fed wanted to create more money, they would just reduce interest rates. Now, this system is not without its side effects. If you look at various price charts of different assets over that time frame, it's obvious that setting artificial interest rates created a series of boom and bust cycles. Now, these boom and bust cycles, to get me to my point, are reflective of the credit cycle. When interest rates are low and businesses and consumers borrow money, more money is created. This is part of the boom cycle. Easy credit As a result of low interest rates, fuel asset price bubbles, which eventually burst. You cannot find a bubble in asset prices that has been built without easy credit. Easy credit, easy money is the fuel for asset bubbles, but asset bubbles always burst. And all you need to do is look at a real estate price chart or a stock price chart going back to 1971 And this boom and bust cycle becomes very evident. However, as time has passed and monetary policy has gotten a bit more radical, these boom and bust cycles occur more frequently. So 1971 marked the beginning of the current decline of the U.S. dollar. But calendar year 2008 was another important year because in 2008, we can now definitively point back to that year as the year that the system broke. See, interest rates, as many of you recall, were reduced nearly to zero, and the next boom cycle didn't begin as a result of these low interest rates. It's the first time since 1971 that it didn't work. So what did the Fed do? They panicked and resorted to a temporary and emergency monetary policy, 
It would embark on a program of quantitative easing, and if we call that what it really is, it's a program of printing money. Now, the Fed's announcement of these temporary extreme measures was eerily reminiscent of Nixon's announcement of the temporary suspensions of the U.S. dollar for gold. Temporary, when the Fed uses the word, almost always means permanent. So, beginning at the time of the financial crisis, some money might still be loaned into existence, but the Fed had now decided to aggressively make up the shortfall by printing money literally out of thin air. And the next boom cycle only began to burst earlier this year when the lockdowns in response to COVID-19 shut down much of the U.S. economy. The Fed responded predictably. More than $3 trillion in new currency has been created this year alone, and that is an amount, and this is shocking, that's an amount equivalent to the total money creation over the prior dozen years. So this year, the Fed has created as much money in months as it took them a dozen years to create from 2008 to 2020. Now, if we apply a little common sense and a little critical thinking, and common sense these days is not so common in my view, one concludes that these boom and bust cycles that appear appear only because there are ever-increasing levels of money creation. In other words, it takes more money creation to achieve the same level of bubble as it did historically. As the late economist Herbert Stein famously said, if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. That statement is as profound as it is simple. So the multi-trillion dollar question is this, how does this stop and how will you be affected? History gives us the answer and I will reveal it to you in the last segment of today's program. However, I will be back after these words to have my conversation with Dr. Charles Nenner. Don't go away. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me again on today's program is returning guest, uh, Charles Nenner. Um, in 2001, uh, Charles Nenner founded and is president of the Charles Nenner Research Center. You can learn more about his work at charlesnenner.com. And he will also give our listeners a 30-day free trial by visiting charlesnenner.com. Um, I do get his research, and uh, it is uh, something that I look at every day when it comes in. I would encourage you to check it out as well. Uh, Charles, welcome back to the program. Well, nice to be here. Just to be called president, you know, give some associations that uh, we have to see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit, um, Charles, about your background. How, how did you develop um, your particular brand of research? Because in looking at your research and looking at historically what, what you've done, um your, your, your cycles research and your timing has been uh, extremely impressive. So how did you get to where you are today? Well, I, I'm trained as a medical doctor and I uh, joined research uh, in a group that wanted to see uh, when people got psychotic in the world, if that happens all over the world in the same period and if you can predict when it's going to happen. And uh, we found that it goes with very definite periods. 
so after I was finished, I was uh, I was visiting the United States and I was watching a program about Wall Street where everybody said, why well, it's going up and down, up and down. I says, well, let me see if I can can take the same approach to financial markets. And I start doing it all by hand because at that time there were no no good computers. And then the computers came and then I start writing neural networks that you neural know, networks are actually programs for computers that can think for themselves uh, because there's so many historical data that uh, it's, for human eyes, it's difficult to, to, to see what's going on. And I found out that um, as the wave of people becoming psychotic, the wave of people, people selling uh, in markets and buying in markets also goes in very definite periods. So the thing is, these things don't move at random. Now, it's very difficult for people to accept uh, that actually we say you're predictable, but you're only predictable predictable because you move as a mass, in masses. You know, if, if, if 100 million, a billion people together move in the stock market, then it, uh, it neutralizes the free choice. So what we do is we know what, the, what that no free choice is going to be and when people are going to decide to buy and to sell, that's the first thing. So we have the dates. And then it developed, uh, developed a, a, a method that if something, um, let's say market goes up, you can calculate, calculate how high it goes up. It's the same thing as shooting a bullet, a bullet uh, up in the air. If you paid attention in school, then you know how long it's gonna stay in the air and how far it's going. So if a market goes up with a certain momentum, then you know how long it's gonna take and how high it's, go, it's going to go. Uh, independent of the news. The news comes out when the market is at the top and then everybody says, oh, that's why the market comes down. And the media confuses that whole situation. That's why it's very hard for people to understand how these things really work. So, Dr. Nenner, is it, in talking and listening to you, uh, you know, essentially, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, so correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you, you, you say that groups of, of humans behave predictably, so... Uh, is your cycles research applicable to not only financial markets, but uh, do you analyze other areas well, uh, like uh, you know social norms, social tendencies, that type of thing? Yeah, but maybe interesting because I do less than before. But <clears throat> years ago, uh, I predicted uh, fashion. There were big fashion designers who actually don't know. In two years, let's say uh, for, for, for men, is it going to be single-breasted? Is it going to be double-breasted? For women, is it going to be a red color? Is it going to be a yellow color? Is it going to be a black color? So then you put in all that data for the last 100 years, and then the cycle will show you in two or three years uh, what, the, uh, what the color is going to be, and they can prepare it. Another big client I had was, uh, was in, the, uh, in the music business, and uh, it's interesting that if you have an old record that made a hit, let's say, 20 years ago, and you want to issue it again, uh, sometimes if you do it in summer, it doesn't work. But if you do it in winter, it works. And if you have a man sing it, it doesn't work. And if you have a woman sing it, it works. So there's also uh, a lot of work being done in that uh, to, to predict uh, when, to, when a, a record should come out in order to be a hit. So the different the different uh, uh, different industries that you can apply it on. Like I said, I don't do it anymore. Uh, the only thing I do is uh, is the financial markets. Uh, that keeps me busy enough. 
Well, let's talk about uh, financial markets. And uh, here in the United States, one of the obviously big topics here in the next month is the upcoming U.S. election. And many people are adjusting their investment strategies uh, to maybe allow for a victory by either major candidate for president. Um, would you say that based upon your research that, that that is not a very worthwhile exercise or what would your position be? Well, my position is that uh, uh, let me let me give you an example. Uh, we went to zero stocks just before the market started crashing uh, this year uh, because the cycle topped and uh, the price target was hit. <clears throat> then I wrote an article about the black swan theory. For people who don't know what it is, there was a successful book written by a person who says, there is a black swan, that means is markets can come down unexpectedly, and whatever you do, you can never figure out why. And then I had a big discussion because people talked about the black swan, what is it going to be, how is it going to be, and it says, you know, I don't have to deal with what, what's going to happen, I just have to know when it's going to happen, and we know exactly when it's going to happen. So whoever uh, is going to be in the White House, to me, it doesn't make any, any difference to me, let's say, to the system, it doesn't make any difference because otherwise the, fist, the system would not function. Now, this is very hard to understand. I give you an example. It's a bit of philosophy that um, years ago when I lived in Manhattan, uh, uh, the problem was, can my wife go in a subway or not? That was just after the Japanese uh, put all kinds of chemicals and killed people in Japan. So when the market had to go up, my wife could take the subway. And when the market went down, she had to take a taxi because then something could happen. So when I was teaching at Goldman Sachs, there came questions like, what if they kill the president of the United States when the market come down? And now it becomes a bit more complicated but interesting. I says they cannot kill the president of the United States when cycles are up, when the market's supposed to be up. They can only kill the president when the cycle showed that the market has to come down. Uh, that's a bit difficult to understand, but things don't happen in a vacuum. Things have a pattern and only happen when the time is there. So even to kill the president, in my theory, has limited free choice. A person can decide to kill the president, but not when. So very, very interesting. We're chatting today with uh, Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, his website is charlesnenner.com. Nenner is spelled N-E-N-N-E-R. And if you'd like to check out his work or get a free trial, I would encourage you to go to the website. Again, that's charlesnenner.com. Uh, Dr. Nenner, as you're talking, I know this is going to be kind of, and you said that this is going to be kind of difficult for some listeners to, to kind of wrap their head around, but let me relate this back to financial markets again, if I could. Uh, when you talk about cycles, are you tracking multiple time frames? So in other words, are you tracking, for example, stocks or precious metals markets on an intraday basis, on a multi-year basis? What, in, what, in what time frames do you, do you track these cycles? Well, we have, we have yearly cycles, we have monthly cycles, we have intraday updates. That means is we can say the, the, the hourly cycle bottoms, give an example, at 9.30 today at this level, and then it's going up till uh, 3.15, and then we're going to reach that level. So we have the service where people just get the email and they know exactly uh, when the cycle bottoms and when the cycle tops. 
so it's the same system, long term and short term. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. So what advice would you give to someone who has a retirement account and they have the traditional type investments, uh, different types of mutual funds, and they're, they're buying and holding. Uh, in this environment, uh, what kind of advice would you give someone who's managing their assets in that manner? Well, right now we're in a very difficult situation. We might creep up on the Dow and the S&P trying to test the high uh, in the next six weeks. Um, I think then it's over. I'm very negative on the stock market. I'm very negative on the bond market. People are falling asleep because we have been in a bull market in bonds for the last 35 years, and the field bonds will never come, come down anymore. Um, so if you buy bonds that give you 1%, uh, what are the chances? You know, the chances is that there's no inflation yet, like everybody talks about. There's also cycle. It will take a while, but then inflation goes up and interest rates go up, and you're being stuck with a bond that gives you 1%. It's a problem. The other thing is, that it's very easy to lose 30, 40% uh, on the bond uh, uh, capital uh, once interest rates are going up. And the problem is a lot of people are in bond funds, so you don't even get your principal back if you sell out, you just sell with a loss. So the other problem here is then the bond market is also not safe. Um, it, it's a big problem coming up now, where should you put your money? So we already for years in in gold and silver. Uh, that cycle is up for, for years uh, and uh, we're doing extremely, extremely well. Now, the interesting thing is some clients as well, I don't know about gold, I know about stocks. Well, they don't, without anybody taking this personally, they don't know about stocks because if you listen to CNBC or other, uh, other channels, if you ask that, that, that uh, uh, people over there, do you think the, the, the next move in the Dow is up 10% or down 10%? They don't know. So actually, they also don't know about stocks. So what you know about stocks is the same as you know about gold. Um, uh, but gold has to, be, uh, has to be watched because it is very volatile. And uh, when we see a cycle top is there, we can go down 200, 300,000, uh, so 200 or $300, we go out. So uh, you really have to watch our work. Uh, in order to to play that, for the rest it's it's very very difficult. Even if you own most these days, I I am here from Europe, and uh, people don't know what to do anymore because they're all deserted. Uh, people have office buildings, and everybody starts working from home. People have rentals, but the rent cannot be paid anymore. So it's a very very difficult situation. If you put your money in the bank, you almost don't get don't get any interest. Uh, so it's, 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 it's very hard in, in five or 10 minutes to explain what has to be done. Uh, that's one of the reasons is since we give it out for free for, for, for four weeks, uh, it's interesting to watch our research to have a different approach on how professional look at financial markets and not take your, in, your interest from the papers or from the media. Well, we are chatting today with Dr. Charles Nenner. Uh, you can learn more about his work at charlesnenner.com. Uh, the clock tells me we're going to have to end it there for this segment, but stay with me. I'll continue my conversation with Dr. Charles Nenner when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the distinct pleasure of chatting once again today with Dr. Charles Nenner, 
Dr. Nenner is the president and founder of the Charles Nenner Research Center, and he's offering uh, our listeners a 30-day free trial to his research. You can take advantage of that or learn more about Dr. Nenner's work by visiting charlesnenner.com. And uh, Charles, let me just jump back in again because we're talking about your work, and, and you, you, you mentioned that you track uh, different markets in different time frames, and uh, you're very negative on stocks. So let's start with stocks. Um, what is your ultimate forecast for stocks? Um, well, I think we can hold up till the end of November. Now you would say it has to do something with the elections. Uh, it just happened to come till the end of November, the cycles. And I think uh, the market is going to be very dangerous for another year and a half. Um, we played a lot with ETFs uh, that you can play going up, can play going down. Uh, it's easy for me to say because once you know the cycles, uh, it's not even uh, dangerous to play it down uh, on the downside. Um, so, and I think we have seen the low in interest rates. It's going to take a while until they really start shooting up, but that also has to be time. There is going to be uh, in uh, in about two weeks there's going to be another rally in the bond market. Uh, so that maybe that rally can be used um, to uh, lighten up on the uh, on the bond situation. Um, and for the rest, yes, it, it, there is always something to do. I know people are not familiar with it, but the ETFs in crude oil and the ETFs in copper and the ETFs in currencies. You just have to know where things are going. And again, most people are not familiar with it, but uh, the average person doesn't know more about stocks and the stock market than he knows about uh, crude oil. So do you have a number, if we look, for example, at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, do, do you have uh, an approximation of where you think the, the Dow goes from a, a valuation perspective and when that might happen? Well, the valuation expected, the, the valuation is totally crazy. I mean, it's worse than the dot-com. Uh, I was then at Goldman Sachs and at even, even institutional traders, you get, could not get them out. And I remember asking, why do you think you, know, you should be in stocks? And nobody had, had a reason. So today, I ask people, why do you want to be in stocks now? And I don't hear any reasons. Is based on a certain hope. I says, well, then you must be an expert in in, in microbiology because uh, uh, you think that it's based on the fact that they're going to find find something to uh, cure. What if they don't find it? You're going to lose all your savings. You can't live like that. And um, the economy looks very bad. So I have no idea why people are buying stocks. Uh, they laugh at people like Buffett, who is very very conservative. In the end, he's always the big laugh afterwards because he's always right. Uh, I know people that are taking out the money from his funds because he think, they think he's not aggressive enough. But, you know, he's there to save people's money, as am I. Uh, first is safety first. Um, and uh, uh, you have to be very careful because you don't get another chance to make your money back if this one goes under. So would you agree with some of the analysts out there, Dr. Nenner, who uh, predict that we may see the Dow going to, say, 5,000 or so? Yes, the 5,000 is that, that's that's the target. 5,000. I wrote about that uh, in the New York Times already six, seven years ago. Um, but I also wrote that in the min middle of the Clinton era, it was also 5,000, and the world still existed. 
so it's not going to be end of the world. It's going to be end of your savings if you're wrong side of the market, if you don't know what to do. And if the market is going down and you go bottom fishing without having our cycles, then uh, every time, you know, it makes a bounce and then you lose more and more and more. That's ex- actually what happened when it came down in 2000 and 2007, 8. People were bottom fishing because of the conditions, the market always goes up. And in the end, they had nothing left. So times is going to be very challenging. Uh, that's why I say, you know, uh, for free, take a look how we approach it. And you have an idea, you know, how it takes all emotions out. And it's just based on mathematics. Um, and that's what all the big institutions try to do. They don't trade on news because, as you know, the saying says the market uh, advances the news by nine months. So then actually you have to know what the news is in nine months, which the average people don't know. So you mentioned, Dr. Nenner, that you do some work uh, tracking currency cycles. Uh, could you just talk uh, just in broad terms as to uh, what you see as far as different world currencies moving ahead? Um, you'd be surprised that the euro is, is going to do better. Um, we have uh, next week already, we have a cycle top in the dollar again. So the dollar should be weaker against the euro. Now, the euro is actually the anti-dollar, so I keep with, with the euro. The other currencies, Canadian dollar, Australian dollar, not doing very much. We do Bitcoin. That's very interesting because that proves our case because there's no fundamental research on Bitcoin. So I don't have any competition because the cycle show me if Bitcoin goes up and how much it goes up. And there's no news on it. And it's very interesting that people then uh, accept, well, there's no news on Bitcoins, but only go with the cycles. But when I say yeah, we do the same work on the Dow Jones, then suddenly they're interested in what the media say and they cannot put out of their head. So the interesting thing is the less fundamentals, the easier it is for people to understand the system. Uh, the euro is going to do a bit better, uh, and, but I don't see much changes in the currency rates all over. So given that we've got central bank policies that are, uh, you know, very radical, uh, you know, unlike uh, policies that we've really seen in the past, creating massive amounts of fiat currencies literally out of thin air. Uh, do your cycles show that that's going to be bullish for cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular? Well, first of all, here we go. It has nothing to do with the, with the Federal Reserve or so, because they also don't have free choice. They're part of that whole group of investors. Um, so, I do mostly Bitcoin because I need a lot of data and a lot of cryptocurrencies don't have data for many years, so I cannot build cycles yet. Um, Yes, I think on the Bitcoin longer term, I think it's a good investment. But again, it's so volatile. If you don't pay attention, you know, wake up and it's 20 percent lower. Um, So I wouldn't just I would do this if you really follow our cycles. Maybe you can follow it for four, four weeks. We do. Uh, four times a week, we do the Bitcoin and get a, get an appreciation of how it trades because it doesn't trade on news that everybody knows because there's no news. So maybe that can convince people that news has nothing to do with markets. The news always comes afterwards. Uh, so the Bitcoin looks okay. And uh, again, I don't follow much of the others because I don't have enough data. 
So in the time we have left, let's talk a bit about precious metals. I, I think you mentioned in the first segment that you're bullish on gold or silver. Uh, if we have time, let's break that down. What, what's your forecast for gold when you review your cycles? Well, we started buying uh, gold around 1100 It's now uh, almost 1900 and the price target is 2500 So we're just holding for 2500 The cycles are up for several years. So I wrote that if we would be at two and a half thousand and half a year, the cycle is up for some more years, so then we probably get a higher price target. But if it hangs around for a year or two years, then the target is going to be two and a half thousand, and then the rally is over. Um, and silver looks undervalued, so I think silver is going to outperform and should get as high as fifty dollars before the whole move is over. There is there is there is a way to play this. There's an ETF called GLD uh, that we uh, we work with. Um, and there's a, a stock SLV that follows the silver price. So people who don't want to do futures because it's a bit scary can follow the GLD and follow the SLV. To what extent um, are, you, you mentioned crude oil and copper also in our first segment. And just to go uh, down that road briefly, to what extent is it practical for someone who's managing their own retirement retirement assets uh, to actually trade in crude oil and copper? It seems that uh, that's kind of off the radar of most people. Well, you got you got for instance the USO. Uh, I think it's also an ETF that follows the crude price, and you got some some companies who uh, who are mostly in copper, so you can play can play it by buying stocks in its companies. That doesn't go together with the Dow Jones. They have a separate wave. Uh, those uh, those companies have to do with the, with the crude price, and copper is also a separate thing. So you get an idea. It needs a bit study, but there's a lot of potential to do very well as long as you just don't stay all the time in these overvalued markets because they're really overvalued. I don't know if you know how to calculate it. Uh, there's one very good indicator you can google it it's called the buffett indicator so mr buffett has an indicator that says i take the capitalization of the stock market divided by the gdp and then you see it's totally in went to the roof it's higher than the overvalued in in 2000 and 2007. now everybody knows the slogan buy low and sell high but nobody knows when it's high and nobody knows when it's low so you need these indicators that we usually publish to show you when it's high and when it's low. So you don't want to be in a market that's totally overvalued, even if it goes up and your friends say, oh, I made some money on the site because this does not end well. Well, our guest today is Dr. Charles Nenner. You can learn more about his work at charlesnenner.com. And uh, Dr. Nenner, always a pleasure to talk with you. Amazing how fast 25 minutes goes by, but the clock tells me we need to leave it there. Uh, loved having you on. Hope to have you back down the road. Yeah, and maybe I bring another clock then. <laughs> Terrific. RLA Radio will return after these words. This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to Dr. Charles Nenner for joining me on today's program. In the first segment of today's program, I talked about the fact that in my view, it seems that we are nearing the end of a credit cycle and we're also nearing the end of a currency cycle. Now, credit cycles can best be defined as these boom and bust cycles. 
You know, earlier this year, we saw a bust in response to the shutdowns that were really responsive to the COVID-19 situation. And the Fed responded predictably, creating more than $3 trillion in new currency. And when new currency is created, new asset bubbles are fueled. So in this segment, I want to talk a bit about the currency cycle. Because currency cycles tend to mature and be much longer than credit cycles. Now, what is a currency cycle? Well, the currency cycle ends when confidence in the currency is lost. Now, when currency cycles and credit cycles end almost simultaneously, you have to have a reset. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to this program, you know that I have been warning for many years of this coming reset. But given the level of money creation in which the Fed is now engaging, this reset has to be getting much closer. I have suggested that depending on your situation, and this is not investment advice, but having 10 to 20% of your portfolio in physical precious metals could be an effective way to protect yourself and possibly even profit from this reset. So what does this reset look like? If we come to the end of the currency cycle and the credit cycle almost simultaneously, what does the reset look like? Well, history teaches us that there are only two ways a currency reset can occur. It can occur reactively or proactively. And to give you an example of a reactive reset, We can look at the country of Zimbabwe. Now, there are certainly many other examples to look at, but this one, I think, is particularly appropriate to look at, especially in light of this election season. Now, Zimbabwe, under the very much misguided leadership of of their former president, Robert Mugabe, experienced hyperinflation, and that ended in a reactive reset more than a decade ago. At the time of the reset, the Zimbabwe dollar was abandoned in favor of more stable currencies like the U.S. dollar. Now, how did this hyperinflation occur? It's really interesting to look at the facts and circumstances that led to this hyperinflation. See, prior to 1980, Zimbabwe was really a very prosperous country. In fact, it was known as the breadbasket of Africa. It was known actually as Rhodesia at the time. It had a self-sustaining, vibrant economy. The economy produced maize, cotton, tobacco, roses, and sugarcane. And the economy was really the envy of many other African countries. Then the country was granted independence, and Mugabe took control of the country. Now, Mugabe, like many pandering politicians, promised the citizens of the country lots of free stuff and attempted to pay for his reckless spending by printing money and then confiscating the assets of productive citizens. Now, the magazine The Economist described it like this. Mr. Mugabe was a Marxist guerrilla who came to power in 1980 after the country won its independence from Britain. 
Mr. Mugabe made a promising start, calling for reconciliation with white Zimbabweans and improving access to education and health care for all. But his early policies were overshadowed by what followed. To support the cost of various schemes, Mr. Mugabe overspent wildly a practice he has continued through his administration. And as he clung to power over the decades, his rule became autocratic, undemocratic, and oppressive. This has caused all typical types of suffering, but the way in which Mr. Mugabe has brought Zimbabwe to its knees is through gross economic mismanagement. And very briefly, check out these numbers. Maize production fell from 6% of Africa's total output to less than 1%. Prior to calendar year 2000, farming accounted for more than 40% of all of Zimbabwe's exports, but by 2010, the figure was just 2%. As money creation in Zimbabwe did not achieve the desired results, Mugabe's government decided to forcibly remove 4,000 farmers from their businesses, effectively nationalizing the farms. And what happened? Zimbabwe went from a net exporter of maize to a net importer. There's an important lesson here and one that we can learn today. As the currency cycle nears its end, the wealth gap is exacerbated. The wealth gap widens. The wealthy who are closer to the printing press get wealthier as they convert newly printed money into tangible assets, and those further down the economic ladder find it harder to make ends meet. As this wealth gap widens, it's easier for pandering politicians to blame the wealthy and propose radical ideas like wealth taxes to make the wealthy pay their fair share. Those who are suffering economically are desperate and are eager for any solution to their economic pain, so they go along with it. The problem is these policies, like excessive money printing, only make the eventual problem worse. Zimbabwe, the example I just relayed to you, is just one example of many to which I could point. A far better way to deal with the end of the currency cycle and the inevitable reset is to have a proactive planned reset. This would have to begin with a return to sound money policies. That would mean a return to a currency backed by tangible assets like gold or perhaps gold and silver. A system of sound money helps create a more predictable outcome for all citizens rather than a fiat system that favors the wealthy or those who are closer to the printing press. Now, a proactive reset is essentially what happened in 1944 when the monetary system that made the dollar exchangeable for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce started. The International Monetary Fund was established in 1944 as part of the the Bretton Woods Agreement, and the convertibility of the U.S. dollar for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce was established. This was a proactive reset that lasted until Nixon ended the system in 1971, and I talked about that in the first segment of today's program. We can hope that a proactive reset is what we will experience. Now, in this political season, in my view, there are many radical ideas being floated by many 
of which, if adopted, moves us further down the economic road that Zimbabwe traveled. History teaches us that the closer we get to the reset, ideas that were once considered off-the-charts radical become a lot more mainstream. And the trouble with these radical solutions proposed by some pandering politicians is that they will only add to the economic difficulties of those who embrace these ideas. It would be far better to have a proactive reset to help level the economic playing field. Embracing radical socialistic agendas will only make things worse. Now, as I close today's program, if you don't yet have the Your RLA app, I would encourage you to go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and download it. Once you get the app, you get access to the podcast version of this radio program. You get access to the weekly update webinar, and you also get access to the weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter, which will give you updates on the markets and the economy based on the news of the past week. So again, go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and download the app. You can also, at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, request additional resources. If you haven't yet been to the website, I would encourage you to go there to check it out. Lots of free stuff there. Our goal here is to educate you. So again, the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. The website, again, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week's program. Be sure to tune in again next week when I will return. Have a great week.